Hey guys, welcome to another huge episode of Trigger. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to break it up a little bit. We actually have two guests. It's not going to just be one-on-one, -on -one, but both are incredible America First candidates who are going to be on the ballot in 2024. Ohio Senate candidate Bernie Moreno and West Virginia gubernatorial candidate Attorney General Patrick Morrissey will join us to lay out what's at stake in 2024 and why they're on a mission to support my father and this incredible America First MAGA movement. These are important races. We've seen just how important, obviously, the Senate is, but also in the last few years, I think we've recognized the importance of just how much the gubernatorial races matter. Uh, in terms of our freedoms, in terms of our businesses, etc. So these are going to be important races that we need to win, and we need top candidates to get the job done. Throughout 2024, we'll be spotlighting the best America First candidates in key races throughout the country. So you guys got to pay attention, learn up, read up on the candidates. That's the reality. So many of these guys do amazing things, but they may not be either, you know, national news that you may not know who's who. You got plenty of candidates running around there sort of pretending to be America first. So we're going to make sure you know the difference, you know who's who and what they really stand for. So Guys, make sure you're also liking, sharing, and subscribing so you never miss one of these interviews, okay? You can catch them also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts after they air here on Rumble so that, you know, if you're traveling, if you're on the road, if you're in your car, if you're commuting to work, if you're whatever it may be, you can catch the episodes if you're not able to catch them, you know, at your desktop or on your phone. You can just listen in and uh, probably get just as much of the experience, so Check that out. Make sure you do it because it's all of you guys who make all of this possible, along with some of our incredible sponsors. So, guys, make sure to check out the great folks over at Gold Co. We've seen it every day. Interest rates are rising. Of course, we're seeing the inflation, the reckless spending, the global turmoil, the Biden caused disasters every day, and it's only leading to more economic anxiety. I simply want you to be prepared for that. Okay, owning tangible physical inflation hedging gold and silver can help secure and ultimately stabilize your portfolio. Goldco has top-notch customer service. They'll answer all of your questions and they'll walk you through the process step by step so that you can educate yourself, inform yourself, and make the right decision for you and your family and their financial well-being. So go to donjuniorgold.com to learn more. That's donjuniorgold.com. You can Again, read about it, learn about it. They'll walk you through it each and every step of the process. But we see what's going on right now, and it definitely seems like a very secure hedge. That's DonJuniorGold.com. Check them out. And uh, with that, we'll be going to Bernie Moreno. Well, guys, with that, we have uh, my good friend, uh, Bernie Moreno of Ohio. Bernie's running for Senate. Uh, definitely the America first uh, candidate in the race. Uh, incredible real-world experience, the kind of thing we're looking for uh, and actually want uh, in the United States Senate. Not a perpetual bureaucrat, but an incredible businessman, uh, you know, car dealerships, uh, everything, incredible life story, uh, really brings something unique to the ticket. So, Bernie, thanks so much for being uh, on the program. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. You too, my friend. You too. Uh, well, you know, so we're seeing the devastating consequences uh, of an open border every day. Every state is now a border state, including your state uh, of Ohio. 
How is it affecting you guys there? I mean, I feel like people talk about that as like a soundbite, but but it's real. Whether it's the human trafficking, whether it's fentanyl, probably the number one you know cause as it relates to the spread throughout the country. You know what what's going on there? You've been really vocal about it, so. You know, do do people fully get it, or are they not yet woken up to just how bad this crisis actually is? Oh no, they absolutely have. Uh, you know, eight and a half million people in three years. They're spread all over the country. Uh, we have places like Springfield, Ohio, small little town. Twenty percent of the healthcare in that little town is devoted to illegal immigrants right now. It's completely breaking their system. Uh, we had a situation in Greene County, small little rural area of Ohio where a, a bus of kids was driving to school in the morning. You can relate to this, having little ones. Yep. And a drunk a drunk driver hits that school bus, kills a 12-year-old. That drunk driver was an illegal immigrant. Uh, we're seeing communities like in Dublin, Ohio, where we have four or 500 uh, illegal immigrants housed in apartment complexes, filling those school systems. The teachers are having to teach in four or five different languages. The parents are complaining that the female teachers are not allowed to reprimand the male boy students, because in the Muslim culture, you're not allowed to do that. This is the impact of a wide open border. As somebody who came here legally to this country with my five brothers, my sister, my mom and dad, it's disgusting to see American leaders allow this to happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, uh, your your friend and colleague in the United States Senate, I think if you get in there, you know, Ohio is going to have the clearly the most based uh, Senate team uh, in the world with you and J.D. Vance. But, you know, you, you, you talk about it a lot. You see those things. I hear the stories. I mean, you know, friends in New York, they're like, well, my kid has to learn uh, in Spanish two days a week. And I don't mean Spanish class. I mean, History is taught in Spanish two days a week, and the kid doesn't speak Spanish. It, it shouldn't be a pre prerequisite to learn in American public schools uh, in Spanish. And I mean, if if you if you're bilingual, that's great. I'm bilingual. I believe you're bilingual. I mean, you you come from you know a, a, you know Latin culture. Uh, your family is, and you 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 have a great immigrant story that way as a family. But you know. How is it that this is going on? Who is saying something about it? I mean, is anyone? Because you know, obviously JD's vocal, you're vocal. Why, why is the rest of the Senate so quiet? Well, you know, Don, the problem is a lot of these guys are cowards. They're so afraid of a negative news story. Uh, they're afraid of being called a racist, a xenophobe. That's a requisite of being a conservative Republican in today's environment. No matter what you do, they're going to call you that. In my situation, I came to the U.S., about 52 years ago, just before my fifth birthday, I didn't speak a word of English. Here's the difference. My mom put me in school and said, you better learn the language. You better understand American history. You better master the language. And that's what we did. That's yeah. what immigrants do that want to come here and appreciate this country. We want to be a multi-ethnic country, but we're not ever designed to be a multicultural country. There's one culture, which is American culture, and it's on immigrants to assimilate with that culture. The problem we have is that the Republican side, if you say that, again, you're so afraid of the New York Times or CNN or, heaven forbid, George Stephanopoulos saying something bad about you that you're just silent. And that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping we're at a break point, right, where the, the, the insanity of speaking just the truth uh, that people are, are fed up of, of just that. You're right. You know, if you say something that's obvious, oh, it's it's. It's racist. It's misogynistic. It's, it's you know, it's the easy button of the political left today just to call everything one of the ists, uh, even if it's just common sense. 
which is totally lacking. Uh, do, you, do you think we're breaking through with that? I do see more people sort of willing to say these things out loud. You see it on social media. I think, you know, perhaps, you know, on X, some of the stuff being, you know, a little bit lifted. It's not quite as heavily censored. If, if someone was talking common sense and it was gaining traction, all of a sudden the algorithm shuts it down. Do you think that the regular people are, are actually seeing that message? Do you think that they uh, are becoming unafraid? Because I think that's what it's going to take. It's not just you or me, and a handful of us who are willing to say these things and they can quietly sort of nod along in the background as long as they're not being recorded or are live. But do you, do you think regular people, understanding there's a consequence, uh, I, I, there's m much more of a consequence if we don't get more vocal in the future, in my opinion, but do you think that they too are now actually starting to be willing to actually engage in that battle? Oh, absolutely. I think people are definitely opening up to the idea that they have to use their voice. Uh, free speech is obviously the uh, cornerstone of democracy. The challenge we have is who are the leaders? Who are the big company leaders? Uh, they're afraid of the marketing department, the HR department. But you're starting to see that change a little bit and too slowly. Uh, the people who are on the boards of trustees of colleges and universities need to speak up. Uh, for the most part, they've been very silent, allowing these college presidents who are complete radical lunatics. You know, there's an idea that the left has that they've infiltrated from the groundwater, from the bottom up. As Republicans, we've tried to skim the surface to make change. We got to go down deep also and make institutional changes uh, by being vocal, by getting involved. It's not the comfortable thing to do. You know that. You, oh, yeah. You guys had a great life. You had a great <laughs> I, life. I assure you, it was much easier being a real estate, you know, the son of a billionaire real estate developer from New York and doing these things. Now you engage in this battle. But but that's the point. We, we don't have a choice, right? You're you're 100% right. I mean, you saw, I spoke about it a lot on this show, you know, a couple of weeks ago with what was going on at Harvard and all of these things. And, you know, the board, we unanimously stand beside someone who plagiarized and did all of this stuff. We, you know, we're, we're going to stand. I'm like, wait a minute. So an issue that would have thrown out any other, no, this, you know, Claudine Gay is a wonderful, she's a scholar's scholar. We're not really sure why or why, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's all bullshit. But, you know, we're, we're going to say that because we have to, because that whole ESG house of cards, I mean, and that's all it is. I mean, if there's actual accountability and you realize it's all nonsense and you realize that the the pillars of that uh, privilege, really, uh, you know, who've you know manipulated that system the most are at, at the top of that food chain. You know, once you realize that's all a lie, you realize just how much worse the rest of it is. And so, you know, it, it is an issue that's on the top of the minds of voters. You see the madness in higher education and even at Ohio State, right? There was apparently a health course which requires students to address their white heterosexual privileges. Now, again, if I was applying to college today as a white heterosexual, I think if I had the choice to identify as anything but, it would actually be, that would be true privilege. Uh, applying as a white heterosexual, probably not so much. But what does that even mean? And, you know, how do we stop the indoctrination inside the universities, right? We, you, you've been able to do that. You see it a little bit on business. You see some of the cancellations that have been effective. They come back around and sponsor, you know, Bud Light with the UFC. They come back. Now, not only do they sort of stop the nonsense, but they come back and sponsor a company that's been sort of, you know, let's call it vocally conservative. Uh, how do you do that and accomplish that inside our universities? Well, it's a few things. So number one, we got to abolish the Department of Education. A lot of the core problems, not just in colleges, but K through 12 happen there. I'm confident that when we take office in 2025, we can make that happen. That 
does a twofer, it puts parents back in charge. It also ends the money laundering operation that is these teachers unions. Yeah. I think the second thing we got to do is we have to take a really hard look at Pell Grant eligibility. You know, we're paying, taxpayers are paying for these kids to go to places like Harvard uh, that are indoctrinating them on hating America, uh, being taught that there's something wrong with them if they're white, there's something wrong with them if they're black. And in my son's case, Don, you won't believe this, three days before school starts for him in college, he gets a letter saying, hey, we see you're Hispanic. By the way, he's a great student, great student, great great kid. Gets, we see you're Hispanic, so we have special counseling and tutoring available for you. So right off the bat, making him think because his dad was born in South America, somehow he must be stupid, right? That is the most demeaning thing possible. So we have to look at their Pell Grant eligibility, their nonprofit status, their federal grant eligibility, because the only thing these colleges and universities will understand is when we hit them in the pocketbook and yeah. make them act. It's the only way to fix it. Yeah, and, and really the value proposition in general, you know, and pushing people who couldn't otherwise, you know, you, you, not everyone's going to be a physicist, right? But, you know, you're going to get a gender studies degree and you're going to rack up $350,000 in debt. Then you're going to ask the plumber who's making six figures working his ass off, who never took any of those things, did it responsibly, runs a small business. You're going to ask him to then subsidize your worthless education that was never going to pay for itself, ever. Like, it doesn't check out. I mean, that that to me seems to be a component of this as well, right? If someone wants to get an education, great. But, you know, if you're going to get an education and rack up those kind of fees for something that literally on paper could never pay back, there's no money in it whatsoever. There's no, I mean, I, I imagine most of those graduates couldn't even tell you what they actually learned. But, you know, they've got a PhD in gender studies and uh, contribute absolutely nothing to society. Well, they can tell you that there's 72 genders. Uh, that's, yes. Uh, that's all they're able to Bernie, do. Bernie, 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 Bernie. There's 4,976 as of the start of this uh, interview. And, and we've been going for 15 minutes or so. So there's probably seven or eight more that have manifested itself since then. Uh, yeah, but, but yes. They're going to use the whole alphabet soon. Yeah, they, the entire they, alphabet will start rapping. It'll be double Z at the end. But, uh, but the reality is, uh, I think that's part of what's changing is parents are looking at it saying, what's the value proposition to send my kid to college? Like you said, if you want to be a doctor or be a vet like my son is, yeah. uh, if you want to be a lawyer, of course, you're going to go to higher ed. But the reality is, what is being a gender studies major, a pottery major, what does that really do for you when you can become, a, you can have a great job with a trade that makes you good money where you can raise a family, take care of your kids and not have to have gone to college. We have to destigmatize that. And we also yeah. have to pour a lot more money and a lot more support towards these trade schools that actually have a much bigger impact in our economy. Yeah. Well, I listen, I think that stigmatization, you're you're 100% right, though. I think people are waking up. They're realizing just how incompetent uh, you know, these universities are, I mean, you know, the, as, a, as a graduate of Penn, that you know, being one of those schools kind of caught up in that scandal. It's like I think you know, I speak to people every day like, "Hey man, I would have always hired Harvard people, but now Honestly, it's not worth the added drama of whatever I've got to have HR deal with because they think they're special and they don't have to work the same as everyone else and uh, when, when in fact they're not. And so, you know, but yeah, hopefully that house of cards is coming down uh, and, I, and I think it's so important and, and people are starting to get it. But talk to me, you know, as, as a businessman, you have a background in business. You know, you got into the auto industry in America, sort of a, a foundational industry in sort of, you know, let's call it American industrialism. You know, what what drew you there? But what policies do you think would also help bring back auto manufacturing? I mean, I, I watch 
you know, the auto workers union. And, you know, they're obviously they've been bought and paid for by, you know, the Democrat Party for decades. And it doesn't line up with the actual policies, I think, of the actual auto workers. You know, there's a difference between union leadership and the workers, just like there's a difference between FBI leadership and the door kickers, military leadership and the operators. You know, those things are very different. You know, what, what can we do to fix, uh, you know, auto manufacturing in the United States right now? Well, uh, just to give you a stat uh, to start the conversation, uh, back in the day, General Motors alone was 7% of the gross domestic product of this country, just one company. So the auto industry is huge. Uh, amazing here in Ohio, where a lot of our tier one suppliers are based. Uh, what we're doing right now is pushing the uh, car business off the cliff. We're handing it over to China. Uh, previously, because of terrible trade deals, we handed our auto industry over to Mexico. They took about a third of our auto industry there. The way we bring it back here is we get rid of all these EV mandates, all these EV incentives, uh, freeze CAFE, which is the fuel economy standards for a decade, not allow states like California to mandate a specific fuel economy standard. That's a violation of the interstate commerce clause of the constitution. And then we have to make certain that we have a good workforce, which is really the conversation we just had, that we can put have the right work in place when we bring that industry back, have low uh, uh, expensive energy, abundant energy, reliable energy. That means oil, that means gas, that means coal, uh, because you can't run an auto plant on solar panels and windmills. It's just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the things we got to do and just have good policies around that. And we can and have to do that uh, because the auto industry is so critical. What's interesting, though, Don, is the left wants the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. They want us to uh, ride a scooter to work, uh, right? take public transportation. They're trying to get rid of the auto industry generally. And they know that electric cars are, are totally unsustainable. They're happy with that. They want to reduce the amount of private ownership of cars. That would be devastating to our economy and a hand uh, uh, handover of a critical industry to China. Yeah, no, I mean, that was interesting, right? I was watching, you know, the president of the auto worker, they're meeting with Biden and they're supporting him. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, they're also supporting, literally, and I'm watching some of these auto workers. Some of them look like they're in a hostage video, right? They, they don't really want to be there, but they're forced to be there. But you know, as part of their, but you know, they're paying dues into a system that is literally funding and advocating for EVs that they're not able to actually make there. I, so I'm like, you're, wait, you're an auto worker who's paying into a system that's basically going to raise money to send to China to have them produce the lithium iron batteries to make your job obsolete. I, I don't understand. And it's like, I don't even know that they understand that this is going on. But, you know, they're, they're literally funding their own demise in this process. To me, it seems. I mean, maybe I'm off, but yeah, I mean, you, you know this industry better than anyone. Oh, no, 100 percent. Because, again, you need 30 percent less workers to make an electric car. Uh, the technology is mostly owned by a company called Cattle, C-A-T-L, Corporate Amperex Technologies. Uh, that's a Chinese Communist Party owned company. Uh, today, we're paying for that company to build battery plants here in America at our expense, subsidized massively by the U.S. taxpayer, which is totally and completely insane. They own the lithium supply, the nickel supply. Uh, we are the world leaders in internal combustion engines. Here in Ohio, we make more internal combustion engines than any other state in the country. So you can imagine uh, a, a leadership in D.C. saying, hey, we're not going to make what you make really well anymore and yeah. do it in a very condensed period of time. 
and by the way, here's the punchline, and have consumers who don't want to do that force them to do it uh, yeah. and it, with an electrical grid that can't handle it. So I used to think that COVID shutdowns were the worst public policy in American history, but this move to EV mandates uh, is getting right up there with it. Interesting. I, so you know, let's talk a little bit about Ohio, right? I, I was on the ground earlier this year uh, in East Palestine uh, following the toxic train derailment. Uh, you know, I was with there with JD. I know you've been there. Uh, you know, wh what's like, uh, what's it like there right now? Uh, I think it was a sort of an important moment. I think it was actually, you know, much more so than the indictments and the this as a sort of a wake up call to the American people about the Democrats. You know, when, you know, Joe Biden couldn't be bothered to go there, but he'll go for the, you know, Zelensky photo op. And uh, Pete Buttigieg, you know, reluctantly shows up the day after, you know, he's, you know, he's in his work boots, you know, brand new, never been worn, you know, or, or worked in for sure. But, you know, there for the photo op, like we're actually doing something. Uh, you know, I think it's so important that we don't forget uh, those American communities. And I think that was a big wake up call to the American public. You know, what's going on there right now? I mean, are, are they being taken care of? Is uh, you know, we, we got to fight for America. And it feels like everyone's so worried about spending money, whether it's other people's borders or other people's pensions in Ukraine, uh, rather than worrying about, you know, the liabilities and the disasters that we face here right at home uh, with our own citizenry. Ultimately, that's the exact uh, question in this campaign is, are, do we have leaders in Washington, D.C. that are going to put America first? That's really the that's really the question, which seems obvious. But if you look back yeah. at the last 10, 20, 30 years, the reality is we've had leaders in Washington, D.C. that put America last. And that moment, that rainy day when President Trump came in, when you came in with J.D., and you had virtually the entire town lined up on a cold, rainy day to greet President Trump was a masterclass in what America first really meant. He really uh, uh, delivered to those people, an uplifting message that we care about you. Now, what was the president of the United States doing at the time? He's in Ukraine on President's Day and not in East Palestine. It's not a mistake. This is exactly how DC thinks. They don't give a crap about white working class Americans. In fact, they think they're stupid. They demean them. They think they're trash, deplorables, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And there's President Trump buying McDonald's for people in East Palestine, and there's Joe Biden in Ukraine handing over billions and billions of dollars to a corrupt country to, to uh, fund an endless war. There could not be a better moment. I think history will take that clip and say, this is what the America First movement was all about back in 2023 when it happened. Uh, yeah. That was a moment. I, you know, I think it was incredible just watching it and seeing it. And you're right, the whole town turned up. I mean, the mayor then later on, I know I did uh, one of your guys' Reagan Day dinners uh, with you up there in Ohio afterwards. And, uh, you know, the mayor of the town came in and was like, we, we need Trump back. Was, you know, but yeah, it's one of those, we, we have to wake up to, you know, when someone tells you who they are, and in this case, really the Democrat Party, when they tell you who they are, believe them. They're telling you, they're showing you each and every day, right? We, they want, you know, more, and this, by the way, includes uh, many of the rhino Republicans, both uh, in Congress and the Senate, as well as some of your competitors in Ohio, uh, you know, for the Republican primary uh, uh, Senate race. Uh, we believe them when they tell you who they are. They say it often. They don't pretend. They get on TV and often say other things, but their actions really tell you ex exactly, you know, where they are and where they stand. 
Yeah, in the case of Matt Dolan, who, by the way, said he wasn't sure if he would support President Trump if he's the nominee. I, I wrote an op-ed that said that should be a disqualifying event. Because yeah. if you're running for the United States Senate, Ohio, and you're not sure if you're going to support the Republican nominee, don't run as a Republican. But he's he's a guy that has said, listen to this, Don. He said that if the we really want to balance the budget in D.C., the only way to do it is to cut Social Security. The, yeah. same the, the one, the one, let's call it entitlement. I don't even think it's an entitlement because oh. it's not an entitlement if you pay into something for your whole life, right? You exactly. know, that's the one we actually have to save. You know, it, exactly. you know, I see it come out of my checks. I see it come out of my employees' checks. I exactly. see it's going into a system, and now we want to bring other people into the country. Well, we'll give them free education, free healthcare, free this, but no, no. The one person, uh, all the people that paid into a system, those are the going to be the ones that are screwed. And and that, that's like the America last policy that we see every day. I mean, you know, Matt Dolan has other problems. I mean, if you're going to change the name of the Cleveland Indians to capitulate to like, you know, the, or the woke warfare, you know, it, that just makes you a, a weak, like you just don't belong on a world stage. What a weakling. Uh, so, you know, that he, he would have lost me at that. But the rest of the comments uh, only, only further the point that, yeah, listen, maybe he should run as a Democrat because he's clearly a Democrat, not a Republican. Well, that's the point. So he's willing to cut Social Security, but in the same breath, he says, we got to give hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine to pay for the salaries and pensions of Ukrainians. Yeah, the pensions. So the, yeah. Just just so we're clear, because I said it earlier, I didn't I didn't even know we were going there with Dolan because I didn't realize he went that far. I, I mean, that oh, just yeah. shows you how insane it is. But like, you know, Zelensky, you must stop funding your roads, your schools, your bridges and send us missiles and pay for the pensions of our people. I'm like, wait, wait. Like, we can't, like, unfunded pension liability is a trillion-dollar problem America has not even begun to deal with, right? And yet, we're going to fund their pensions, but Republicans running for office want to cut Social Security. I mean, that's how insane we are. That's how backwards this is. We're going to cover their pensions, their effectively Social Security, but not our own. It's America last. Well, and of course, we know the answers, by the way. Uh, they're, they're, we're not really covering our pensions. All that money is being laundered. God knows to whom and how. But but the mentality, the mentality is what's broken in D.C. This idea that you go to voters and that you get their support because you tell them one thing, knowing that you're going to go to D.C. and do something completely different and screw them over. And you're perfectly happy doing that because, Don, here's the thing. I think they fundamentally hate average Americans. I think yeah. they look down on them. I think that's what's different about your family and what I did is in my business, like in yours, you valued that frontline employee because you knew that was the face of your business. So you yeah. took really good care of them. I seen that with your father in Mar-a-Lago. There'll be billionaires having dinner. Who does he talk to? He talks to the waiter, talks to the hostess, greets them by first name because we really care about working class Americans. These elitist Republicans, obviously Democrats, they look down on it. They look and go, you're, you're just a truck driver. Like in my case, in my race, both of my opponents had said, hey, Bernie's just a used car salesman. Okay, As a, I'll take that, right? Yeah, yeah I built 15 yeah. dealerships, called me a used car salesman. But you know what? A used car salesman wakes up every day and knows that if he doesn't perform by the end of the day, he can't feed his family. A career politician doesn't have to do anything can fail all day and will still get paid by the taxpayer. So yes, I will take the honor of being called the used car salesman, yeah. but it's another way that they look down 
on working class Americans. That's the problem. We're, we're battling between elites and everybody else. That's yeah, and the elites are not that, that like they honestly again the last month has sort of been perfect in cutting down this notion of you know of the elites you know the the elite scholar like well what's so elite about them you know or you realize oh they got there because they cheated or they checked some boxes or they did whatever like they they couldn't take care of themselves like you, you, the the reality they're only propped up by a, an artificial system that's been subsidized to death with this nonsense so you know it, it's awesome to see all of that coming down. And I, and I love that you're calling it out. I mean, I, you know, I know, you know, in, in the last cycle, you know, I, I went hard for JD and he's the guy in the Senate right now doing that. You guys as a team there uh, would be epic because we have way too many weaklings there. And some of them, you know, they'll tell me in private, they agree with it. They just, oh, we're just not willing to break the rules and the norms of the Senate. I'm like, man, I, I wish you guys fought once, just once like a Democrat would. And you'd, we'd actually get something done. But you know, earlier, you know, in your campaign, you released a five-point plan to stop the weaponization of justice, so we can actually focus on prosecuting like criminals. I know, I know that's shocking. I know that's you know a, a, a an incredible outlier in America today. But can you lay out that plan? Because I think it's important for people to understand these details because they see it too. They see what's going on. They you know it's not just you know censorship on Facebook. They have friends that you know are getting door knocked by the FBI because they were within fifteen hundred miles of Washington D.C. on you know the fake fake insurrection January sixth, the first unarmed insurrection in the history of eternity. Uh, can you lay out that plan a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. But before I do, let me just say I, I read another article this weekend about the New York case and what uh, that uh, absolute lunatic judge is doing to your family. I'm telling you, I, for hours uh, I was ranting about that article. It is um, the American public needs to wake up and understand what is happening in that particular case with your family and your family business, because whether you're a fan, or not a fan or Democrat or Republican, it does not matter. What is being allowed to have happen in that case in New York is so insane. It is something that would be outrageous in South American dictatorships. Yeah, uh, what is happening yeah. there? So, I'm not allowed to just, talk about it because I'm under gag order, Bernie. Which, which in and of itself tells you probably everything you need to know. Imagine not being able to speak about these things to the to the extent of it. But as a business guy, you understand it, and they run out there with these things and. You know, the the supposed victim is like, no, they were our greatest, like one of our greatest uh, partners. We wanted to do more business with them, not less. We didn't lose a cent. Every payment was made. It doesn't matter. This is what we feel. Uh, you were the victim. No, no, but we were, but we're not. We're saying we're not. We're on the stand. It doesn't matter. We're ignoring all of that. It doesn't matter what you say under oath on the stand. It, it you're right. It's it it's the it, it is uh it. It's it's almost a, it's a caricature, like an insane caricature of a Latin American dictatorship. Well, and it's it's for those of us who own businesses, uh, it is incredibly chilling to know that we have a, a system of government that would allow a rogue judge, a rogue prosecutor, to inflict that kind of pain and punishment on an innocent company, innocent people. Because it's not just they're not going to stop it just you. The ability that they have this weapon, they yeah. can use it against all of us. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that the Supreme Court, when they hear that case, has to be a strong rebuttal of what's going on. And we have to figure out how to have a judge like that that is uh, uh, persecuting somebody have some consequences because the idea that they think they're doing is nuts. But but back to my, my plan, I think what we have to do is we have to impeach Joe Biden. I think that's important uh, because we have we need to know what's out there. We need to understand the communications between him and Merrick Garland and Christopher Ray. 
So I think those two also should be impeached because it's not gonna, we're not gonna remove them from office, but we'll find out what really happened so that we can get the receipts, have the transparency so that the American public see what happens. I support what JD is doing, which is no more promotions uh, for these uh, Department of Justice uh, uh, people that uh, are weaponizing the justice system. We have to make certain that we uh, take away the money, taxpayer money that's being used to fund these persecutions. And then finally, I believe we should pause all judges, appointments of federal judges, because what Biden's going to do over the next 12 months is put in the most radical federal judges possible. And so we have to put a pause on all that until the next election, uh, because they're going to put these these uh, and once they're in there, they're in there for life. And again, the New York case and others, you can see what these judges are able to do. So those five things, I think, are imperatives. Uh, we have to have a blind justice system in America where this country, as we know it, does not exist. Yeah, no, they always try to do that. Well, you point conservative justice. I, but I go, but yeah, but when the issue is close or it goes like the conservative justices are the only ones that actually ever give the other side wins, right? They, there's never been a liberal justice that actually sides with the conservatives on something that's not just, you know, just a flagrant thing. When it, when it is an issue that is political, uh, the conservative justice, are, no, constitutionally speaking, this is a little bit more right, so they give them the win each and every time. So, you know, we're, we're as always, we're playing different games. But a big one I see you know, really with Washington Republicans is they're, they're out there, and you've been very vocal on this, so it's important, I think, people that hear this. You see Washington Republicans holding hearings and paying lip service to the intelligence abuses uh, that, you know, we've witnessed over the last, you know, five, six, seven years. But then they also vote to fund a new FBI headquarters, uh, their vote to reauthorize FISA, not just not just components of it that lets you spy on your enemies abroad, but actually continue the abuse against, you know, the American citizens who they've called, uh, you know, uh, domestic terrorists for being Catholic, uh, who they've called domestic terrorists for being, you know, concerned parents at PTA meetings. And I'm sure there's other things that we haven't even uh, been told yet. Uh, who's a domestic terrorist? I know, you know, I'm on that list or all of them. You know, talk about that disconnect and, and how you'd be voting in the United States Senate. What can you do to change some of that and, and, and get the others, to, you know, hold them to task? Well, Senator Mike Lee was great, has been great on this issue. I mean, he has been a brilliant yeah. constitutional expert, uh, proud to have his endorsement. Uh, the, the fact that we all reauthorize, reauthorize FISA the way it is during an election year. Did we not learn anything from 2020 or nope. 2022? My God, it's insane, right? The Russia collusion hoax, uh, right? What did that happen? Through the FISA courts. Uh, you know, the reality is the Patriot Act was something that came out of 9-11, as you know, uh, certainly seemed like something that was necessary because we were under attack. Here we are 20 plus years later. What could go wrong? Well, we know it could go wrong when we have bureaucrats and administrative state, the deep state that has weaponized the power, the awesome power of the federal government against ordinary citizens. Uh, we either need to massively re uh, restructure that program or completely just repeal it. I think there's been hundreds of thousands of, of uh, spying incidents on Americans, and yet you never hear it. You never hear a whisper about it. Uh, what I get frustrated about, Don, and, and is we have Republicans. They all campaign on the same issues. There's not going to be one Republican that comes on your show or any other conservative show that has a different issue set. Here's the difference. When they get elected, what happens to these guys? 
Why do they all of a sudden cave? And the answer in my mind is because what they care about more than anything else is getting reelected, being yeah. popular with the media, figuring out what's next for them. They got to be the moderate so they can get that big uh, board of directors seat yeah. when they retire. This is what's wrong with the system. We have to change the people we send to DC or we'll never ever fix it. So, t so talk about that a little bit. How you know? How's this campaign going? Uh, yeah, obviously you have my father's endorsement. Uh, you have our, our good friend JD Vance, uh, and you're running against you know two rhinos. We discussed you know one of them uh, already uh, with Dolan. I mean, just, you know that's just absolutely insane. You know, talk about perhaps the other candidates in there, and what makes you the America first choice in that race? What makes you different than the opponents? Well, Dolan is a a hardcore left of center. Um, uh, I would call him super rhino, not even rhino, super rhino. Think Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney had a child. It would be Matt Dolan, right? And then <laughs> on the other side, you have Frank LaRose. <laughs> That's a terrible visual. I, I may not be able to unsee that for a couple of weeks, Bernie, but yes, it, 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 it's also effective. <laughs> That's how bad it is. By the yeah. way. On the other side, you have Frank LaRose, uh, who uh, not too long ago described himself as a pragmatic, moderate, was a no-labels guy. Uh, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, he decides he wants to run for Senate. He thinks that DeSantis is the way to go. So in early this year, he's playing footsies with DeSantis, introduces him at the Summit County uh, Lincoln Day dinner, like when, uh, I'm sorry, lunch like what you did, uh, saying, you know, they have so much in common. All of a sudden launches his campaign, says, hey, you know, Trump's endorsement doesn't matter at all. It's not what it used to be. People don't really care. Of course, then they show him a poll. Uh, and then all of a sudden, wait, what do you mean? I love President Trump. He's my, he's my best friend. I've been with him since day one and uh, says the endorsement is decisive. Uh, he doesn't know what he wants to be. But in reality is uh, he knows what he wants to be when he grows up, which is he has this idea of probably of being president of the United States. But he doesn't know who he wants to be. He doesn't yeah. know what he actually believes because he believes in whatever advances his career. Yeah. He would he is the perfect embodiment of what's wrong with D.C. Somebody who only cares about their next election their next position. They probably played with the White House Lego set too much when they were kids yeah. and are convinced that they're going to be a president of the United States someday. And so we'll sell out anyone or anything to get power. That's the last person that should be anywhere near Washington, D.C. That's the contrast that we're drawing in this campaign. And so far, we've racked up the endorsements, not just nationally, of course, President Trump and J.D. and others, but locally. So we have over 525 local endorsements from people in Ohio, more than the other two combined. Uh, we've raised many more times uh, multiples from them fundraising wise, and we've got the grassroots organization. So what I hear over and over again, it's very simple. No more questions. We want outsiders to go to DC. We're actually there. We're going to have to sit down for this one to do the things that we campaign on. Well, you know, I really appreciate that you're doing this, man. I wish you all the luck with it. Let me know what more I can do to help. Uh, look forward to seeing you over there in Ohio. And, and guys who are watching, you know, check out Bernie. Go check out his uh, campaign website. If you're in Ohio, see what you can do to help. Uh, this is going to be one of the big, you know, th honestly, there's not that many Senate races that we can move a needle here. Uh, this is a really big one. Uh, we got to win it. We need to send someone else like uh, Bernie to the United States Senate to represent us in Washington, D.C., because God knows uh, the Senate is, let's call it, uh, lacking and maybe lacking at best. So, uh, Bernie, thank you so much for that, man. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys are all doing well and uh, look forward to seeing more soon.
Uh, perfect. Absolutely. Whenever you want to come back to Ohio, you know, they love you here. We love okay. we, we uh, love you here in Ohio. So we'd love to have you come back up whenever you want. We'll do it, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Well, Bernie, thank you so much. And uh, in a few moments, guys, West Virginia gubernatorial candidate, current state attorney general Patrick Morrissey will be here. OK, he'll be joining us. But I also want to introduce you guys to one of our newest sponsors, the Wellness Company, a leader in providing emergency medical kits with almost 90% of our pharmaceuticals being produced outside of the US mostly in China make sure that you have what your family needs when the next crisis hits guys like we saw with covid supply chain chaos lockdowns fauci failures call it whatever you want but it's much harder to get medicine to you and your family in a time of need and a time of crisis so if crisis strikes i want you and your families to be prepared with the Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit, you're empowered to take control of your health. The kit includes eight life-saving medications, including amoxicillin, Z-Pak, Invermectin, for you to keep on hand, along with a guidebook for safe and easy use. So from tick bites to COVID to extreme public health outbreaks, every scenario is covered. Avoid the high costs, avoid the long hospital wait times, especially obviously in a time of emergency, and take control of you and your family's health care needs. Like I always say, folks, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. So go to TWC.health, like the wellness company, TWC.health slash triggered for a 15% discount on the emergency medical kit. That's TWC.health slash triggered get 15 percent off have that in the bank so you're not scrambling when your family needs it most okay guys joining me now is an all-star america first fighter who's delivering win after win he's west virginia gubernatorial candidate but also current state attorney general patrick morrissey so attorney general morrissey first off you know, talk a little bit about why you decided to run for governor. I mean, what's interesting is, you know, West Virginia people, oh, it's a small state. It doesn't do that much. But you are actually out there as AG now, you know, challenging the Biden administration and, you know, the insanity that's going on in the DOJ and all of these things, uh, you know, from the state level. You know, what are the biggest issues that you're facing in West Virginia and what are the top policy priorities that you can do as governor that go beyond what you're doing right now as AG even? Well, absolutely. And first of all, thank you, Don, for uh, joining today. Uh, there's so much going on. I, I joke that I wake up every day with a big smile on my face because I get to sue the Biden administration. And as you know, our batting average in court has been very, very high. I get together yeah. with a number of my colleagues and we file suit as this lawless administration is trying to fundamentally change our country for the worse. And fortunately, as the state AG, we get to bring legal cases together. We go into courts. And as a result of your father's uh, judicial picks, we can get court cases heard in a fair way. And are, we've been able to score big, big wins taking on the Biden administration, stopping their energy agenda, which really puts America last. I mean, that's a big deal out in West Virginia when they're trying to get rid of coal and natural gas. And yet they're also moving to have 67 percent of the people locked in for mandated electric vehicles. It's lunacy at its worst. And as AG, I can do something about it. 
And Don, one of the reasons I decided to run for governor is I thought we can scale up the work that we're doing in order to really have an incredible impact on our state and our country. So a lot of people know what the AGs do and they file lawsuits against the Biden administration. But I think when you could bring to bear not only 20, 25 attorneys general, but treasurers, attorneys general, maybe 35 state agencies within each state and all the governors, you can actually pull a huge amount of support by bringing to bear your legal firepower, your economic might, your policy prowess, your political and PR edge, and you can stop the federal Leviathan. And that's a great thing. I think it's important for our country. And it's especially good when your father gets back in the White House because you're going to need conservative governors to catch that power that's being devolved back from the federal government to the states. And for those reasons, and to help our state grow, improve our standard of living, drive educational attainment, stop the disaster and the fentanyl crisis at the border. That's why I decided to put my name in the hat for governor. It's going well, but uh, it's been a busy time. Oh, it's always a busy time. I mean, I just I think people have to understand, again, you know, as, as attorney general, you're fighting the Biden administration on energy. But you've also had major victories, you know, in the opioid, uh, you know, drug cases that haven't received much media attention. But obviously, there's been some big developments there. That's one of the you know, you have four or five things just on the federal level that you're you're challenging in a way that people like me, uh, all of my listeners would love to see. You'll never get the credit because, you know, he's the attorney general from West Virginia, but you're a guy that's actually out there doing so many of the things that conservatives want happen. You're calling them to task. You know, the opioid, obviously, I mean, energy is huge, but the opioid ones, you know, it, killing people indiscriminately across our country at a level uh, that rivals major wars. Uh, you know, what, what can you tell us what's going on there? Absolutely. Well, I'm always fond of saying that in West Virginia, we fight just a little bit heavier than our weight class. And so while we may be the 38th largest state, I think we can still pack a punch. And never was that more evident than when we were tackling the opioid epidemic. I know that when I came in, there was barely any my office to deal with that, but we were methodical and we've actually worked not only in terms of addressing some of the problems from an educational and prevention perspective, but having accountability, Don, within the pharmaceutical supply channel. So we've initiated a lot of suits. And now I'm proud to tell you, West Virginia is number one in the country per capita in settlements in. Actually, if you look at aggregate dollars, I think we're 13th or 14th. And once again, when you're the 38th, 37th uh, largest state, when you can be in that position to overperform, it means a lot. But what's even more important than that is making sure that the dollars are going to be used wisely. Yeah. So we actually work with our counties and cities to set up a first of its kind private foundation in the country to make sure that the dollars are not going to be wasted the way a lot of what you saw with the tobacco epidemic. And I'm excited. It can fund law enforcement. It can fund treatment options and education. But also, we brought accountability. You can never take back the amount of lives that have been lost. But most certainly, people know that West Virginia was as aggressive or more aggressive than any in the country to make sure that we protected our people. So, you know, I, I, and I've seen what you've done, and I've known you for uh, a while now, uh, spent a lot of time with you. you know, why is it that, you know, you, you have a lot of conservative, you know, slash Republican attorney generals around the country, 
you know, w- with the exception of guys like Jeff Landry now going to be, you know, a, I guess governor-elect down in uh, Louisiana, another good friend of ours. You know, why are so few of them actually willing to fight, let's call it these national battles or utilize the platform that they have? I mean, if you can do that from West Virginia... You know, what could some of these guys, if they're you know, in even the bigger states or perhaps the, you know, let's call it more powerful from an economic standpoint, states accomplish if they were willing to fight the same way as you? Well, look, I think we do have a number of really solid attorneys general and we work together all the time. I just know that it's been a passion of mine uh, to take on the swamp and the administrative state. And uh, I can come to you today and say that a lot of the cases we've had, we've actually defeated the swamp, the federal Leviathan. But we partner with a lot of other states. We work with Texas. We've worked with Ohio. We work with Jeff Landry, really good guy down in uh, Louisiana, just got elected governor. So we, we have been able to partner with a lot of people. And we do it because, look, we bring unique skills to the table. We have a lot of really good lawyers. We take the issue seriously. I think the courts respect the legal product that we put together. But look, I care. I think that our country is in such a a disastrous situation because of the Biden administration. And I could be out doing a lot of different things, but I'm all in to protect our country. So I'm motivated. I wake up every day and I think, who am I going to sue today in terms of these Biden agencies? And it's just a mindset that I have. And I'm not going to let any of the media, the political elites or the left influence what I say. And I think West Virginians love that. And that's why I think our campaign for governor is going so well. Well, you know, A.G. Morrissey, you've also, you know, championed and trying to keep my father on the ballot, uh, you know, in, in some of these things. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost shocking, right? We're seeing just out of control lawfare from the left, you know, on basically every front at this point. I mean, it, it's, yes. it's actually crazy. Recently, you had that disgraceful ruling out of Colorado to actually uh, take his name off the ballot, even though they're, I guess, interjecting into uh, a federal case that he's not even been found guilty of yet. Uh, can you break down uh, some of the legal issues and mental hurdles that are going yeah. on here? Uh, wh- well, why? How it's so ridiculous? Well, I think the the most important observation is that uh, the left is trying to weaponize every form of government and go after anyone who would assert a position that's against the establishment. And that's what you're seeing, whether you're talking about bar complaints against state attorneys general, that certainly happened to me back after the 2020 elections. And we had to work for over three years to push back on that. You're talking about political prosecutions. If uh, you dare disagree with the powers that be, then of course, what it's outrageous, it's not rooted in law. And so that's one of the reasons why, Don, that we've gotten together. I've been partnering with Indiana. We've been co-leading a lot of the efforts, in fact, across the country to keep your father on the ballot because he deserves to have the right uh, to put his name in the arena like anyone else. And so we've been successful in West Virginia. We've been successful in Michigan. Obviously, Colorado in a a four to three decision, that goes up to the Supreme Court. But it's inexplicable to me because this is something that – your father's not even being charged with, right? I mean, let's set the stage right. You have all these nonsense allegations out there, but they're not even going after him for this. And yet somehow they want a state court to interpret a federal law, something that has national implications. That's why we've weighed in. I think the arguments we've brought to bear in these states and what we'll do also at the Supreme Court, we're going to co-lead that effort along with Indiana, 
The AG, Todd Rikidi, is another good guy, and he's doing some good work. Uh, I think that the Supreme Court, number one, they're going to take it up. Number two, they're going to reverse this. That is my prediction, because this is just another way to engage in election interference and politicize the process because they can't win on the merits. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a hundred percent right. And you know, I, I guess you know, I'd ask, like to ask you, like, what what role do you see for the individual states on major issues like you know, big tech censorship? I know that's one, and the collusion. Uh, I know that's one that Jeff Landry was working on a lot, uh, as well as AG down in Louisiana. Uh, if the federal government doesn't act, you know, can the states step in? You know, do you, do you have the power to make real headway there? I think we all see what's going on, but you know, honestly, even Republicans. Uh, in Congress and at the federal level in Washington, D.C., you know, oh, yeah, big tech bad, but they're not actually doing anything while getting trampled. You know, these are the same people that talk about FISA yeah. abuses, but vote to keep paying for it. It, You know, wh what can the states do there? I mean, certainly the states can join together and fight back. And usually in cases like this, there's strength in numbers. So I know, for instance, we do a lot for the size of our office, but we can't take on every fight just resource-wise, right? Because yeah. you have a limited number of uh, people to bring to bear and limited resources. So in, in an ideal world, you partner with other states and then you share the workload with a lot of folks. So we have been able to take on Facebook and take on Google and take on a lot of the, the big tech companies because we do think that Twitter and the, the tech space is the proverbial town square and people should have the ability to participate without being throttled or most certainly without having the government try to censor it what happened uh for many years when you have the government reaching in trying to censor folks and taking the recommendations of big tech that's outrageous but i think that what the states can do is they can weigh in yes they can file suits but they can also be a strong voice if you get 20 states together talking about consistency in the policy looking for dramatic revisions to section 230 of the communications act from 1996 which i think has caused a lot of these problems um, the more the states talk about it the more you bring to bear what the states can do states can't do everything you know i for instance have limited criminal jurisdiction right so a lot of times when people say hey there's corruption you go after the other side i just am not allowed under the law to do that but when you get 20, 25 states together on some of these tech issues, I can promise you it gets the tech company's attention. Yeah. It, it, so I guess what what are the other major issues? Again, I mean, you're, you're sort of in there a lot. You're dealing with the tech stuff. You're dealing with the election interference, uh, you know, what, what I call clearly election interference. You got uh, major stuff and victories towards, uh, you know, the opioid, uh, you know, uh, crisis. Uh, but another one you've gotten involved in a lot uh, as of late would be uh, the world of sports and the NCA regarding transfer rules. You know, what, what's the issue there? Obviously, there's been a lot of changes in what, you know, student athletes can do. Uh, you know, but what's the issue that you're focused on there as it, as it seems to be getting a lot more attention, uh, you know, these days with guys like you doing what you're doing there? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really interesting, Don. A uh, couple months ago, I was made aware that one of the athletes who transferred over uh, to West Virginia that he was applying to the NCAA for a waiver for the transfer eligibility rules. And he was a two-time transfer and they wanted him to sit for a year. But based upon some of the rules that the NCAA had, the athlete thought that he could play now and that it made a lot of sense. And I looked at it, I agreed with him. Uh, Raekwon Battle's lawyer looked at it, he agreed with that. And so I wrote a letter 
uh, into the NCAA. And we asked nicely. We said, hey, listen, these are arbitrary rules. Why are you allowing it for a kid that may go to Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky, but you're not going to allow it for someone who goes to WVU? So we thought that there were real problems with that. And so we stepped up and they blew off the letters. And then we had a conversation with the NCAA. And finally, um, I was able to talk to them. I said, look, I'm going to file a lawsuit against you. And then I worked with Ohio and a seven-state AG coalition, and we sued the NCAA. Quite frankly, they were wildly inconsistent with how they were interpreting these transfer eligibility rules. And we thought that they were violating the antitrust laws, the competition rules. And the NCAA is not immune from the rule of law, and they have to comply with the law. So we were able to file in the Northern District of West Virginia, and there are a couple guys, Raekwon Battle, just a great player, and Noah Farrakhan, as a result of the lawsuit, they're now eligible. And in fact, we got a temporary restraining order against the NCAA, extend to a preliminary injunction. Now for the rest of the winter season, two of WVU's starters are able to play because we were able to overcome this arbitrary organization that thought it knew better for the student athletes. And now the case will really move forward in an aggressive way. Uh, but it just shows you what a good state and an AG can do if you're pushing and you're willing to not just accept what people suggest from on high. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's important. I mean, the NCAA, yeah, another one of those disaster organizations that oh, seems yeah. to, you know, they know everything, they tell you everything, but like, we're not exactly sure exactly what they actually even really do, other than they had a monopoly over, uh, you know, the student athletes for so long. So, the, you know, the changes are interesting, but it, it, but you're right. I imagine there are certain athletes that would get a lot of precedent and a lot of attention and a lot of uh, uh, the rules will always bend well for them, but there are others that would be left out in that process, which seems to go pretty well with all of academia these days. Oh, look, it's a disaster. And you know, the Don, you know this better than I do. The left has been uh, spending a tremendous amount of time for decades trying to undercut all the civic institutions that yeah. give rise, that serve as the netting that uphold our constitution, our foundation document. They're going after the churches, they're going after civic associations and the schools with their far left, their woke agenda. And it is up to states and AGs to push back aggressively in the arena because you can make a difference, not just through the litigation, but when 20 or 25 states get together and yeah. use their economic power against the feds for some of these crazy policies, I can promise you that can carry a mean punch. So, you know, talk about some of those the skills, the successes you've had as attorney general in West Virginia and how you think that ultimately translates uh, into being governor and, and, and where you can take it from there. Absolutely. Well, I think many people watching uh, may have heard of some of the cases that uh, we've brought and that I've led on. One of the more famous is West Virginia VPA, where we led the national coalition to stop uh, Biden's Green New Deal. And that was a really big uh, issue for West Virginia, because not only are they trying to put coal-fired power plants uh, out of commission, costing us all those jobs, they want to ruin it for natural gas. So there's an obvious jobs perspective that motivated me to go in. But I will tell you, probably the biggest impact of that case is that case was a big win against the swamp. The swamp literally invades every aspect of people's lives, and folks don't even know it, because you have federal government that's grown larger and larger and larger, in part because courts kept allowing these agencies to have deference, to continually use their regulatory powers in a way that's inconsistent with Congress's direction and the Constitution. So I've been working really hard to push back on all that 
thinking that as we start to narrow the swamp and blow it up and, and reduce it, that provides more powers to the states and to the people, more freedom, more innovation, more economic opportunity. So that's a big part of what's motivated me. But we've had huge wins, West Virginia EPA, the Waters United States rule. People have heard about that. They try to call your backyard ditch, your ephemeral stream, like a federal navigable waterway. Yeah. You it's can't insane. mow your lawn because there's three drops of water under a sprinkler and there's oh, a amoeba that lives there. It's crazy. And, and then obviously we know that the uh, the gender issues that are arising with respect to the uh, efforts that males are putting, I'm sorry, that uh, you have for males trying to play sports with women. We've been out in front defending that. We think that women should have the ability to play sports on their own. So when you have all these issues, and some of them deal directly with jobs, protecting West Virginia jobs, we've supported educational attainment policy, uh, school choice a very aggressive school choice policy in West Virginia. So when you put all this together, it shows, hey, these are the kind of skills that you'd like to see in your next governor because you want a governor to stand up to Washington and protect your citizens from what's coming your way. You want a governor to stand up to make sure that the jobs are in place. You want a governor to make sure that we're going to advance educational attainment. And you most certainly want a governor who's going to push back against the wokeism and the crazy agenda on the left. And there's just no one else running in this campaign who has that kind of background and record. Unlike everyone else, they promise to do different things. You know, we've been there. We've done that. We've led the cases. We build these large. And we go to court and look, 78 percent of the time we win. So we have a heck of a good batting average. And I think that's great experience uh, to serve as West Virginia's next governor. And that's what helped motivate me to run. No, so what are what are the biggest issues you know that you've been dealing with that that make you that better candidate uh, you know for the West Virginia governor's race? What are you know what are the ones uh, that that seem to be resonating uh, most with the people, and what are what are the other ones that you'd be pursuing in the meantime? That you know, sort of you know as these things grow and as the the playing field changes, what else do you see on the horizon there? Absolutely, one of the biggest issues in West Virginia is not going to be a surprise to you. Bidenomics is an unmitigated disaster, and. You know, whenever you have massive inflation, uh, you have a poor state like West Virginia, it really impacts our people negatively. And uh, look, you know this, uh, Don, West Virginians love President Trump, and there's always been a phenomenal relationship. Well, you know, Joe Biden and his policies have really put a hurting to the West Virginia economy and our citizens. And so that's an important goal for anyone who's going to serve as governor. And a part of that, of course, is protecting America's energy independence. West Virginia is a strong state in terms of our coal resources, natural gas. And so when you're the fourth or fifth largest energy producer in the nation, you actually have a big asset. And Biden has gone after our fossil fuels, and it's terribly problematic. That's one thing that we have to make sure that we keep doing. I've done that in the AG spot. We're going to have to do that in the governor's position as well, because West Virginia could build on the leverage of those energy resources to grow. The other thing which West Virginia really needs to do is we're going to have to grow our workforce. Uh, right now, West Virginia has the lowest workforce participation rates in the nation. 
But I know that through the right policies, we can grow and fill a lot of the unopened jobs that are out there, talking about the beauty of our state and that we're beginning to change economically, making real progress as a state compared to what you saw 10 or 15 years ago. So there's a lot of good stuff that we're doing that translates from the AG world to governor. And I could go on and on. We could talk about the drug fight, not only the fight against opioid abuse, but now the fentanyl menace coming in from China. We've been leading the way, trying to call fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction as governor. My voice is going to be a lot louder on that. And ideally, when President Trump is our next president, we'll have the ability to work together and have the kind of policies that are really going to let West Virginia soar. I'm fond of saying, Don, that West Virginia should be that shining state in the mountains. And under my policies, I think they will. Well, I, I think so, too, my friend. I think so, too. Patrick, where where can people find out about your campaign uh, for governor of West Virginia? Uh, read more about what you've done as a state AG, attorney general, uh, so that they can check it out and support these things. You know, again, now it's trying to highlight uh, the two true candidates for this 2024 race that are actually, yeah. you know, America first fighters. I just want to make sure everyone has the resources to be able to figure that out and find out uh, everything they need to know. Absolutely. So people can go online to patrickmorrissey.com. That's two R's and one S. And you can look and see all my positions on the issues. And importantly, also know that I was the first and for a long time, the only candidate uh, to endorse President Trump. I think there were others that started to look at the polls uh, six months later. I've been there from the very beginning. It's funny I'm how gonna... that happens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, look, I, I know I had developed a good working relationship with you and with President Trump uh, serving as attorney general. And you guys came in a lot for me in my race in 18. So I've always been very grateful. Uh, President Trump has treated West Virginia well, and I didn't want there to be any hesitation at all. Look, other people, they um, they like to let the political winds go. That's not my style. But people could go to patrickmorrissey.com. And look, if you want to donate five bucks, 10 bucks, 25 bucks, help a little bit. I have a lot of the establishment in the far left that's going to come after me. We've got a really solid lead in this primary. I think the last few polls at 10 and 12 and 16 points up against a, a, a big establishment, a real liberal guy, this more capito guy that's running. And I think we're well positioned, but we need to keep getting stronger because, you know, these guys can just find millions of dollars underneath oh, yeah. the seat cushions. And, we and need it to ain't going to be too. from West Virginia, my friend. It's, uh, it, it's going to be from like the opposite of West Virginia, wherever that money comes from. But it's real and it's something we have to contend with. That's right. And look, the good news is I think people know my record. They know that I've stood strong with uh, President Trump. It makes a big difference. And they know what I'm going to do as the state's next governor. So things are going well, but I won't take it for granted uh, because we have a unique opportunity uh, to do incredible things for West Virginia. When I serve as governor and President Trump is back in the White House, because quite frankly, West Virginia is going to be able to lead and catch a lot of those initiatives that President Trump is leading at, and we're going to work together as an ally. Can you imagine having coalitions of states and governors supporting what President Trump wants to do? You didn't really yeah. see that as much last yeah. time. They did They did a lot a without lot. a lot of support, including from the rhinos. Imagine what you had if people actually got it and they were in, in sync and you know understood what it meant for everyone. Uh, yeah, no, there's no question you could do a lot more. Absolutely. 
no, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm eager to continue to work. Let's make sure President Trump is on the ballot. We've got a big Supreme Court case coming up that, as I mentioned, uh, the Indiana AG and myself, we're working on with a lot of the AGs. Most of them join. I think it's terrific. This shouldn't be a hard call because this is just about basic fairness and getting people on the ballot. Yeah. Well, no, 100%. I appreciate all your help there, Patrick. Uh, thank you, guys. Make sure you check out Patrick Morrissey and what he's done for West Virginia, as well as how he's running uh, for governor there right now. Uh, definitely one of the races we got to be watching and participating. So, Patrick, thank you so much for everything, as always. Great seeing you. Hope you guys had an amazing Christmas and New Year. And uh, uh, we got a long year ahead of us, but we got to win. Hey, same to you. And uh, come back out to West Virginia soon. We, we miss you. We know you love the state and uh, want to see you as much as you can. I'll be there, my friend. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks so much. Okay, guys, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. I think that was great. I think it's important to highlight, uh, you know, some of the people that will be doing this, right? There's, I see it every day. There are those, you know, I'm, you know, I took a picture of a selfie with Donald Trump once. I'm the Trump-endorsed candidate or whatever it may be. It's really important we, we figure out exactly who is what. Uh, and how they do this. Uh, make sure you're also checking out uh, the, the show. If you get your podcast on Spotify or iTunes podcast, you can get it there. That way, if you're traveling, if you're on the road, uh, you, can, you can see it that way or listen to it that way. Uh, so you're not missing any of these episodes. Just make sure you're liking, sharing, and subscribing, guys. That's the way we beat the algorithm. That's the way we beat tech, uh, big tech and all of those guys. So just do that. It's simple. It's easy. It doesn't take you anything to do it, but that's how we get out there and win. And we also want to make sure you check out our great sponsors. Check out the folks over at GoldCo. If you're concerned about what's going on with interest rates and inflation and reckless spending and Biden caused disasters, you know, we want to make sure you're prepared for all of that. So owning tangible, physical inflation, hedging gold and silver can stabilize and secure your portfolio. Goldco, they've got top-notch customer service. They'll walk you through each of the processes. They'll take you through it step-by-step, step, and you can learn more because it's about educating yourself. Learn more at donjuniorgold.com. That's D-O-N-J-R-Gold.com. Very simple. D-O-N-J-R-G-O-L-D.com. Learn more. Listen to them. And also, guys, check out uh, one of our newest sponsors, The Wellness Company. Uh, they're a leading provider in emergency medical kits. And with 90% of our pharmaceuticals being made outside of the U.S., we just want to make sure you have what your family needs when the next crisis inevitably hits. We saw it with COVID and supply chain chaos and lockdowns and Fauci failures. It can be hard to find what you need in a time of crisis. So when the crisis strikes, I just want you to be prepared. With the Wellness Company's Emergency Medical Kit, you're empowered to take control of your health. The kit includes eight life-saving medications, including amoxicillin, Z-Pak, Invermectin, to keep on hand, and a guidebook to learn how to use it. So whether it's a tick bite, uh, COVID, extreme health outbreaks, every scenario is covered. So avoid the high cost, the long hospital waits, long lines. Take control of your family health needs. And again, it's always better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. So go to TWC, the wellness company, twc.health slash triggered for 15% discount on the emergency medical kit. That's twc.health slash triggered. Take control. Make sure you have what you need if the inevitable seems, you know, seem, feels like the inevitable at this point with the decisions that are being made uh, happen. So check it out. Appreciate you guys. And uh, we will see you uh, later in the week.